Well, hey, good morning. How are you? How are we supposed to study the scriptures after that, man? My goodness. Oh, so good. Um, hey, grab your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 11. We are in the book of Jude as a church. We've been systematically working through the book of Jude. Uh, but I want to start in the place where Jude is going to take us. We're in Jude verse 5, um, but he's going to remind his readers of their history, and I want to dive into it. So Numbers chapter 11 might be the worst way to open a teaching, but here we go. Numbers chapter 11. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. It says this. Soon the people began to complain about their hardship, and the Lord heard everything they said. And then the Lord's anger blazed against them. And he sent a fire to rage among them. And he destroyed some of the people in the outskirts of the camp. Then the people screamed to Moses for help. And when he prayed to the Lord, the fire stopped. After that, the area was known as Tabera, which means the place of burning, because fire from the Lord had burned among them there. And then the foreign rabble who were traveling with the Israelites began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. All we ever see is this manna. Let's rewind a couple months Jude is reminding his readers of their history. I think they would have probably been familiar uh, with Jewish literature and, and Jewish history. But let's rewind from Numbers chapter 11. A couple months before, uh, the people of Israel were slaves to the Egyptians. In fact, it had been 430 years of slavery. That's almost two times the age of America. So all of the history you know as an American or about America, double that. And that is what the people of Israel knew as slaves to the Egyptians. Generation after generation after generation died in slavery to the Egyptians. And from Exodus chapter 14 all the way to 16, we see an interesting shift in the people of Israel. Because Moses has been put in a place where he's able to lead them out of 430 years of slavery. And in Exodus chapter 14... We see the people of Israel, a couple million people standing at the foot of the Red Sea, and they're thinking about how they're going to die. Because Egypt is coming with their weapons, with their army, to slaughter them. And every single dead end that the people of Israel experience on their way out of slavery, the Lord shows up and really flexes who he is. And if you know the story, the Red Sea parts, the people of Israel walk through, the Egyptians follow, and the water falls on the Egyptians, they die, the people of Israel make it to the other side, and they're finally, after 430 years of slavery, they're out. Chapter 15 is the song of, of celebration. He's the God of victory. He's the God who rescues. Towards the end of chapter 15, uh, they become thirsty, and the Lord provides water for them to drink. We get to chapter 16, and of course, they're hungry. What do you think happens? The Lord provides. He provides manna for them. They're able to collect and eat as much of it as they want every single day. He gives very clear instructions for how they are to do that. And 430 years of slavery, now they are finally free, 
But in Numbers chapter 11, they find themselves in a place where they're willing to go back into slavery because their appetites are gone. It's what Numbers chapter 11 verse 6 says. It's really a poor translation if you study the word. Our appetites are gone. It kind of should read, but now our souls are empty and dried up. Our passions, our breath is gone. All we ever see is this manna. Will you turn with me in your Bibles to Jude verse 5? Jude is going to remind them of what we just talked about. Jude 1 verse 5 says this, so I want to remind you, though you already know these things, that Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. Will you put your hand on your heart? I want to pray. Well, Holy Spirit, as we, as we dive into your word this morning, Lord, my cry is that you would expand our capacity to experience you that your voice would be so evident, that Jesus would be lifted above everything else. So Father, as we study, just search us and know us. All we want, like we sung, is you. There's nothing else in this world. We just want you in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jude has really laid out for you and I as believers what we are to constantly be doing. And he explains why. Contend for the good news of Jesus. Why? Because it's possible to get into a season where you will say, my soul is empty and dry. All I ever see is this manna. That's why he reminds them of their history. In verse 5, he says, I want to remind you that you already know these things. Jesus first rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, but later he destroyed those who did not remain faithful. This for me really is a parallel of our old life. It's a bit of a caution. See, Jude is saying he is a God who rescues and saves. Make no mistake, but he's a just God and he cares about how we live because how we live is supposed to represent who he is. Isn't it interesting in in American culture We so desire a God of justice, right? I mean, look at the the last season's cry. Like, Lord, if only you would show up and deal with this people group, then this. We so desire a God of justice until it's our turn for him to be just with us. And then we're like, well, I didn't didn't really say that. See, I think think in verse 5, I think the early church would have gotten to this place and they would have stopped. Because now it's personal. Jude is reminding them of their history. They they were familiar with the stories of Moses in Exodus and in Numbers. This would be like sharing your grandfather's grandfather's grandfather experience in something and a lesson. I think they would have gotten to this moment. They would have said, hey, he's reminding us of of something really, really terrible because Numbers chapter 11 is a difficult piece of scripture to work through. And before we understand the history and verse 5, I want to make sure we're so clear in what Jude has has already said. Because in verse 1, Jude will say something that we can't just skim across. It's the greatest news you'll ever hear on this earth. Are you ready for it? You have been called. Everybody take a deep breath really quick. You have been called by God the Father. This word called, it means to acknowledge to be made holy 
and to be purified. And whether you've accepted this call or not, I have to remind you this morning, there is an invitation every day waiting for you. You have been called by God the Father, and it gets better. Are you ready for this? He loves you, and he keeps you safe. We just skim across it like it's no big deal. You've been called by God the Father. You've been made holy. You've been purified, and he keeps you safe. This word keeps, it means to guard, to take care of, and to tend for carefully. The picture is a full military line and fortress. So Jude is laying out for us what it means to be a believer. You've been called and you're kept safe in the tender care of Jesus. And then he invites us into something in verse 3. Contend for this good news that you have embraced. I know Pastor Greg has talked about this word contend just a little bit. But this word, it means to struggle for, to agonize. It actually comes from the athletic world. And the picture is a wrestling mat. Does anyone know, we just read Numbers 11, Jude's reminding them of their history. Does anyone know what the word Israel means? We get it from Genesis 32. It means those that wrestle with God. So he calls them to wrestle, contend for the good news of Jesus in verse 3. And then in verse 5, he reminds them of their history as the people of Israel, as those that wrestle with God. See, I would suggest that this idea of coming before the Lord and wrestling things out is far more important than we think. Now, if you've ever studied psychology, uh, specifically social psychology, you understand the importance of rough and tumble play or wrestling with a parent and a kid. It's one of the, the greatest things that you could do as a parent with your kid. Why? It actually teaches them how to thrive in the world. It teaches them what hurts and what doesn't hurt, what's okay, and what's not okay. When I wrestle with my son, he knows not to poke me in my eye and punch me in my face. Do you want to know why he knows that? Because he's poked me in my eye and he's punched me in my face before. And I was like, hey, dude, great shot. Don't do it again, though. That really hurt. Could I just suggest that there was always meant to be a healthy wrestling process between you and the Lord, but it's only found in his presence. See, a lot of people will read through Jude and they'll immediately think, oh, this is a letter and how I am to rebuke and defend and wrestle against false teachers. I would love to submit that Jude's actually inviting you and I into a daily process with, with the Father, one that allows contending, one that allows wrestling to happen. It's really one of the most courageous things that you'll do on this earth. Why? Because it's exposing. It's intimate. It, it causes you to point inwards instead of blame things on the outside. See, when you wrestle with the Lord, it actually begins to show you what you're elevating above Jesus. Does anybody know the problem in, in Numbers 11? It wasn't just that they were complaining. It's a big deal, and I think there's a lot to learn from that. But look at Numbers chapter 11 again. It says, And the people of Israel also began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. 
We had all the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, onions, and garlic we wanted. But now our appetites are gone. Our souls are empty and starving. All we ever see is this manna. Church, what does manna represent? His provision. It represents daily encounter with him. Jesus taught us to ask for it from the Father in Matthew 6. Give us today our daily what? Bread. It wasn't just that they were complaining. It was that they wanted something more than daily encounter with the Lord. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. It wasn't free. It cost them everything. 430 years of slavery. And they've now come to a moment where the Lord is providing. It's like they forgot he's providing. They're willing to go back into slavery because of a physical appetite. Is this not the the root issue of, of what Jude is talking about? Pastor Greg talked about it last week. To say that God's marvelous grace allows us to live immoral lives. To say this is really to declare that Jesus isn't enough for you. That he's just something that you add to your life as part of what you do. But there must be something else that you can add above it. That his grace just allows me to, you know, I I add it to what I do and that there's more to it. I have to remind you something. Maybe you've heard it before. Maybe this is the first time. You were always intended. You were built to live off of daily encounter with him. You were designed for it. But here's the catch. You must be willing to contend for it. You must be willing every day to wake up and to get with the Lord and to realize that he's provided daily bread for you to encounter. Why would we need to contend for this? Because appetites from our old life will surface and they will try to tell you that Jesus is not enough. The people of Israel had everything that they needed in Numbers chapter 11. And they began to desire, appetites began to surface from their old life. See, I think it's in those moments where we as the people of God are called to contend and wrestle those things out with the Lord. Hey, Lord, this thing's in my life and it's beginning to surface. Am I placing it above you? Is this something that I should be participating in? Is this something that's going to bring me health? Is this your daily bread? Is this provision? We live in a culture where every single day you are reminded and told that you need something new. That job's not working out, you should try this. That relationship's not working out, you should try this. That school doesn't work, maybe you should try this one. Or that person doesn't work, or this, you should try something new. How many of you checked social media this morning when you woke up? If you're not raising your hand, you're lying. I got you, okay? Most of you probably did. And it is screaming at you. You need something new. You need something new. Can I remind you? The scriptures would declare when you embrace Jesus, when you accept this call that Jude's talking about in verse 1, when he keeps you safe in the tender care of Jesus, when you embrace him, there is nothing more that you need and his mercies are new every single day. That is what the scriptures would say. So 
some of us have stopped contending in this season. And you're wondering why you are spiritually and emotionally starving. You've gotten to a place where you would say, my soul is dried up and empty. Can I just tell you, there is nothing on this earth apart from Jesus that will satisfy the hunger that's in your soul. No job could ever do that for you. No house, no relationship could ever satisfy that thing. Here's a hard one for us. There is no church that will ever satisfy the hunger that's in your soul. You have to be willing to contend and eat of the daily bread that he's provided for you. It's in his son. It's in Jesus. There's nothing more. A lot of people will use Jude and his brother James, which we just walked through, as a letter to really smack people around at the church. I think that Jude was weeping when he wrote verse 5. Because he's writing to his friends. He's like, listen, you guys need to remember this. Man, this is our history. And it was brutal. We had everything that we needed from the Lord. And we craved something from our old life. Don't make the same mistake again. Jesus has provided everything that you need. It's found in daily bread in his presence with him every single morning. And there's nothing that could satisfy you except for that. He's reminding them. I don't think he's frustrated. I think he's heartbroken. I think he's like, listen, there's people that are saying my brother that I'm a slave to, that when I receive his grace, I can just live and act however I want. That is not how we are called to live as believers. We are called to reflect who he is. We are called to bring moments like we experienced in worship and not just leave it at the church. You were called to bring that to your workplace, to your house, to the people that you interact with every single week. And when they ask you like, hey, what are you doing? Like, what, what class have you signed up for that's making you just so bright in this season? You're just like, you know what? I, man, I just spend a lot of time with him in the morning. I have an answer. Jesus has provided everything I need. Church, you were intended to thrive in seasons where the world around you would say it's impossible. Isaiah would say it in Isaiah 41. He talks about trees and deserts, springs and deserts that shouldn't be there. Do you know why? It's so that people would look at you and say, God is real and he's here. And Jude is reminding them. And for the next 14 verses in Jude, it gets ugly. He reminds them more. This is the first one. I wish I had something new for you to say. I don't. I feel like every time I teach, I say the same thing. Hey, it's Jesus. It's always been Jesus. There's nothing apart from Jesus. You'll never find it anywhere else. We have to embrace his son. That is the only thing that will satisfy the hunger that's in your soul. You're like, I've, I've tried it. I get it. Man, last year was difficult. And it wasn't just difficult for you know, people that were working in the marketplace. As a pastor, I found myself last year so depleted, like borderline depression. And I had to remind my soul daily, Jesus has provided everything I need. I have to embrace him. That's called contending. That is called wrestling things out. We have to become a people that when things surface in our life, maybe they're old appetites, 
But when things surface and try to tell you that Jesus isn't enough, we have to contend. That is what Jude is saying. Will you stand with me? I want to pray over you. I left bread and cup just for the end, just so that you could have a moment. And I'd just love to invite you, um, just maybe take it by yourself. I've been asking the Lord all week as I've studied Jude verse 5. Lord, what is in my life that I've placed above your son? What are things that, that I'm craving, maybe even from my old life, that are trying to tell me that Jesus isn't enough? I just invite you to, to ask him to search you and to know who you are. So let me pray. Jesus, thanks so much for, man, just this amazing church family that we could freely this morning come together and declare your goodness and your name. Lord, I'm so thankful that you're, you're a God who's so close. We're not making noise to something that's far away. You're here. You're moving and you're speaking. Lord, so for every heart in this room that's maybe began to place things above you, would you just so kindly remind us? Would you speak to our hearts? We love you. We bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a couple moments and we'll take bread and cup.